Father, we want to be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. And we only can be that way if we're found in Jesus Christ, your son. Tonight, Father, I pray that you would just abound in this place, that you would overwhelm us with your presence, Father God. I pray that our hearts would be moldable and pliable this evening as we talk about how we are to live our lives, God. We want to honor you. We want to bring glory to you, God. And I pray, Lord, that the eyes of our soul would awaken this evening, that they would be open and illuminated this evening to to check ourselves and to check our hearts and to check the way that we are pattering our lives after your son, Jesus. Jesus, Father God. Thank you tonight for the opportunity to get into your word. I thank you that your word is alive and active today. And I thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit empowers us to point people to Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, tonight that you would just anoint my words, Father. I pray that if anything I say is of me, Lord, and I pray that that would pass away, but anything, Lord, that you would have to to share this evening that would change us for eternity, those words would stick and remain and that we would be changed, Lord. Uh, We love you tonight. You're invited here to be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday. It is only 15 million degrees outside, and I wore long sleeves today. Um, Well, we're in the middle of a series um, called Jesus at the Center, and I just so appreciate the opportunity to be able to share with you and uh, I want to thank you, those who have journeyed uh, the last two weeks um, with us, and I pray that uh, the Lord has has spoken to you through through what we've done so far, uh, and will continue to do so tonight. So we have been talking about. We started the first week, and we talked about who am I? Who am I in Christ? Who am I as a believer? Who am I? What does Father God say about me? Um, as compared to what the world says or anybody else says, and what we're to believe about ourselves? Who am I? Last week, we talked about what do I believe. It's important for Christians and believers to know what it is that they believe. There is power. There's power. It's a powerful force, belief is. And, uh, and so knowing what it is that you believe and, and, uh, and where the source of that belief comes from. Uh, and we believe that it comes from the Scripture. It comes from the Word of God. And, uh, and being in the Word of God and knowing the Word of God will tell us everything about how we're to live our life. And tonight we're going to talk about how do we live it out. I believe that uh, one of the largest mistakes that we make as believers in looking at our identity in Christ and saying, who am I, and figuring out what I believe in, and uh, how we live it out as, uh, you know, when we get to that point, when we decide that we are going to uh, make Jesus Christ the Lord of our life, we are just on this mission to conquer the world for him and to, and to make sure everybody is introduced to, to this Jesus. And, and that's fantastic, and it's wonderful. Uh, but the, the word equips us in a certain way to, to do that. And uh, sometimes, unfortunately, I've been around uh, really really wonderful people who have been wounded and who have been severely hurt by people who are living out their Christianity um, in the vein of hurting others. And they're not doing it intentionally, uh, but what they are doing, in fact, in reality is hurting, uh, is hurting, is hurting believers. And so I want to talk a little bit about that tonight and um, as we dive, as we dive in. Um, <clears throat> When I was in, uh, we, we moved from, we've moved around uh, in, my, in my life, and we've been in Middle Tennessee uh, for, since I was in 
uh, kindergarten. Prior to that, though, we moved all around uh, the nation. My father was in the military, and so my brother's born in uh, Honolulu, Hawaii. I was born in Flint, Michigan. Uh, we lived in California and Georgia for a while. We we were all over the U.S. and uh, and we landed here when I was in kindergarten. And even when we were here, we still moved between cities within Middle Tennessee. And uh, there was a time after my shortly after my parents uh, got a divorce, we uh, moved over into the Murfreesboro area and went into the Murfreesboro school school system. And uh, that was whenever I was a teenager, and that was really, teenage years are some of the most formative, if not the formative years of your life. And uh, so the influences that you have as a teenager, uh, the things that you're around and subjected to as a teenager really help to form your, your thought process and, and what, you're, what you're thinking about yourself. Uh, it's a lot of, um, uh, a lot of opportunity to, to dive in a, about who, you're, who you are and who you're going to be. And as a side note, I hope that you're praying for our youth pastor and the staff working with our, our teens Every day, how many have teens in our youth group? Anybody in here? Okay, are you not hoping people are praying for your the leaders that are in there and, you're, and that you're surrounding them with? It's a real powerful and important time in those young people's lives. Well, as a teenager, I went to school and I, you know, I had this, I had a lot of insecurities I was dealing with and I, man, I really wanted to fit in and uh, and so I really uh, was able to get in with. Um, <clears throat> With a crowd at, uh, well, I went to Central Middle School at Central Magnet School. Now it's very two very different schools uh, back then as it is uh, to now. But I was really, uh, I was really tight knit with a, a group that really, let's just say, they weren't living for the Lord. And uh, you know, and I, I certainly was going to uh, the. Baptist Church I told you about last week during that time, but I was certainly a Sunday to Sunday Christian during that time, and I knew that I knew enough about Scripture to know that I was saved. And uh, but you know, in terms of living that out and how to live my life, you know, I was very impressionable at that age, and so uh, you know, I would you know my. The way I talked, the, the, the way the sound came out of my mouth was very different. Uh, the vocabulary that I chose to use was very different. Uh, the way I dressed, if, if I were to show you some pictures of my middle school, everybody has awkward pictures. Anybody have awkward pictures when you're going to school? Okay, mine are awkward plus some, okay? And uh, I, I used to be as skinny as a toothpick, not, not so much anymore, but I was skinny as a, as a toothpick, but I would wear XXXL and I would have big chains uh, that I would wear with a big cross that would fill up my stomach. And uh, I remember uh, it leaked into a little bit in my high school years when I came into this church. And I used to, I look back and I don't know what I was thinking, but I would walk in here. I had a blueberry suit that, a uh, blueberry color suit that was from head to toe and uh, just shopping in stores that I had no business shopping in and, and wearing things just because that was the part of the group that I was hanging out with. And I wanted to fit in. Has anybody been in a place where you wanted to fit in? And so I wanted to fill it, fit in and I wanted to be impressionable. So Everything that dictated the way that I lived my life at the time were the people around me and, and how I would fit into with that crowd. Well, we moved back to Smyrna, and I remember my first day at Smyrna Middle School, and uh, I my wardrobe had not been yet unpacked from the boxes, and we had to go to school, and it happened to be picture day. And, uh, and so I'm going around the house, and I'm pulling things together, and I'm telling you, I, I had some Sunday shirts mixed with some school day pants with uh, socks that didn't match, and it was just all over the place. But one of the most significant things that I had to do uh, that was most memorable for me is, my, because my mama was like, you're going to school today, uh, was that I had to wear cowboy boots. 
Now, cowboy boots were not anything. These were play cowboy boots. These were, uh, and I'm in middle school. I'm in middle school wearing cowboy boots. And these are not cowboy boots like you think, okay, these are cool cowboy boots. These are like play cowboy boots. And I'm wearing these khakis that barely fit with this button down shirt that doesn't match anything. And I'm going to school on my first day. It is not the first day of school for everybody else. It's my first day going there. So that's even worse because everybody has already solidified their friends. Everybody's on. So I walk into class and, and I am dubbed the name cowboy. Hey, cowboy, what's up? You know, all of these things. And all of a sudden, my whole world shifted. My whole world shifted based on that day, what I, had, what I was wearing, everything that I did. For me to walk in the next day wearing what I was wearing was not going to line up with what was on the first day. And so I would go in there and I, and I didn't, you know, I, it was worse the second day than it was the first day because I didn't have the cowboy boots on. Everybody's like, where's your cowboy boots? Aren't you so country, Hick? And then it was so, uh, so far and so on, you know, and the, the snowball. But I do remember, if I look back on my eighth grade year versus my seventh grade year, um, I made them call me junior in seventh grade as opposed to Kevin. And I was Kevin in eighth grade, you know. Um, there are two different people. There were two different people in seventh, eighth grade. And as I look back on, my, on, on that time span there, I realized that the reason that there were two different people is because the way I chose to live out my life had everything to do with the people that I was around and who I was surrounded by and what they said about me. I was so impressionable. Do you know Scripture has a lot to say about how we are to live our lives as Christians, as believers? Scripture has a lot to say, and it's not hard to find. It's not, hard. It's not something that you go into Scripture and you have to kind of guess what uh, what, you know, what is scripture saying about this? It's very, it's pretty blunt. And, um, well, I wanted to go into some of this scripture in just a minute, but I want us to know that how we live our lives should not be dictated on what people say. It should not be dictated on who's around us. It should be dictated first on who am I and what do I believe? And if all of those things line up, what do I believe being the Word of God? Who am I being, um, being defined by the Father? Um, then how we live our life should be evidenced by those things. Yeah? Are you with me when I say that? People, people's perception of you rarely comes from what you say. People often examine you by what you do. People's perception of you rarely comes from what you say. People often examine and, and decide who, what you're about by what you do. Although it's easy to identify, I think that we need to know how the world expects us to live as we dive into what I believe Scripture says about how we're going to live. And I know it's, like I said, I think it's easy to identify, but I think the easiest place to land on how the world is expecting us to live would be in the Second Timothy Scripture that we've been talking about uh, over the last couple of weeks. Um, and it identifies people being as lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And I think if we were honest with ourselves, we would say that we live in a world that's subjected to all of this. I think that we live in a world that this is very apparent. And, uh, and on one level, I find it to be exciting. 
And the reason I find it to be exciting is because whenever I look at that, I see the first part of that says, at the end times. And, if I, and I believe that there's coming a time when he's going to split that sky and he's going to come back for all of us. And that's exciting to me. Hurtful on one level, exciting on another. But I think if we... I think that we need to start here in identifying that this is what the world expects us to be. Not as believers, just as anybody. They expect us to be lovers of self. You're expected to be a lover of money and so forth and so on. And the reason that's important for us to identify is because I think it's important for us to keep our minds and our hearts in check on whether or not we're tempted to gravitate to any part of these these things. And one of the things we're going to talk about this evening is how many times our eyes are focused out on everybody else compared to the times that our eyes are fixed on us and how we're living our lives. Our goal is not perfection. Our goal is Jesus Christ. And we mustn't be ashamed of the gospel. Our goal is not perfection. Our goal is Jesus Christ. And we mustn't be ashamed of the gospel. I worked at Chick-fil-A for eight years, and um, I, it was just such a wonderful and unique time in my life, and the Lord really opened up some doors of opportunity, especially in the latter four years where I was a general manager of the Chick-fil-A in Murfreesboro. And in that store, it was just such a unique climate because already you know, most of you know that the founder of Chick-fil-A is uh, is Christian, and, uh, and he really values uh, those set of beliefs. And, uh, and I was able to be in a position that I could essentially pastor a crew of almost 100 people in that restaurant. And we started a young adult ministry there and, um, and really just was just seeing people grow in the Lord in that work environment. It was just a real fantastic time. And I, I don't have time to go into all the things that we did, but one of the times I was in the, out in the restaurant and one of the workers, one of my employees came in and uh, he introduced me to somebody uh, that he knew, just a friend. And I, I shook the, the girl's hand and, she, and I said, I'm Kevin O'Day. It's good to meet you. And she said, Kevin O'Day, Kevin O'Day. I've heard that name. Kevin O'Day, you're, you're that Jesus guy. You're that Jesus guy. And all these years later, I can look back and think, how incredible is it that when somebody heard my name, they associated it with him. But in that moment, I backed off and I was ashamed. I was a believer. And in that moment, I felt myself literally back up and go, oh, I didn't know what to do with that type of interaction. Jesus Christ wants to be made famous in our lives. And, um, and I remember walking away. I, I believe in you, in you Jesus. I'm, I'm living for you, Jesus. Why was I ashamed at that moment? Do you know it's easier to live your life for the Lord when you're around other believers than it is to be out in the world and, right? When you're around everybody else? Let me tell you, the momentum of the world is really powerful. Now, we serve a God that's much more powerful than that. And he gives us the strength to fight against that. But I don't know if you've ever been in a rushing rapid or whatever, but it's hard to fight against that thing. And I'm going to tell you, as believers, we're called to be doing this uphill 
this uphill and hopefully bringing some people along with us. But we are, we are going up this uphill and he gives us the strength. And so easily we can get caught by the rapids and we can get pulled back. Oh, I felt like, man, I'm a lover of myself at that moment. Oh, I'm in love with money. I'm boastful. I'm proud. I'm arrogant. I'm prideful. All of these things that we get entangled with. And he gives us the strength to overcome. But we mustn't be ashamed of the gospel. And it's easy for me to come in here and say, praise the Lord, because I'm in a church. You are believers. I tell you, I, I do. This is probably bad for me to say, but I'm going to say it. Um, I run a Christian school, and I feel like everybody who walks in my door loves Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm sleeping with my neighbor, but I love Jesus. <laughs> I gossiped about her the other day, but I love Jesus. I am just, I'm not, I don't know anybody. I'm not living life, but I love, everybody just loves Jesus. Are you living the life? How are you living your life? How do we walk this out? Because if I love Jesus and I look like this rushing rapid coming down the pike that looks like the world, then I'm really, I've got to step back and question whether or not, what, what do I believe? I got to go back to the base and say, what do I believe? Because if I really stand on the principles of this word and I believe what it says, then I can't go in some of the direction that the world is going. Are you with me? It's hard for me to go there personally about how I believe. Now, I want you to understand there's a part A and a part B to this because part A is what you believe. Part B is how you interact with people who don't believe the same way you do. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But our goal is not perfection, it's Jesus Christ. We can't be ashamed of the gospel. Scripture says a lot about how we're to live our lives. And I want to spend some time right now, I want to read Scripture to us that says this is, this is how we are to live our lives. This is coming from the Scripture. This isn't Kevin's idea. This is, this is straight from the Scriptures. I want to start with Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 through 32. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Game over. If we're honest with ourselves, right? This is how we ought to live. Okay, let me look at this scripture. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may be grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another. I've met the most unkind Christians in my life. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Hebrews 12, verses uh, 12 through 16. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexual and moral or is godless like Esau for who a single meal sold his inheritance rights to the oldest son. Colossians 3, verse 12 through 17. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another and of one has a and if one has a complaint against a complaint against another, forgive one another, as the Lord has forgiven you, so that you also must forgive. Above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 
And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Colossians 1 verse 10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, hearing fruit in every good work, bearing, sorry, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And lastly, and there are many more, but lastly, Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 from the message translation. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. I love that, God helping you. Take your ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. That's huge. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Telling others what we believe should always come secondary to living it out ourselves. Telling people what we believe should always come secondary to living it out ourselves. I heard a story on the radio. I was, I was driving down the street, and there were, uh, this, this little girl was in the back of the car, and she was about five years old, and she was talking to the toddler that was next to her, and the toddler was two and a half, and he had the pacifier in his mouth. And she said to the toddler, I don't remember the name. We'll call him Brian. Brian, are you going to heaven or hell when you die? And the toddler looked at her, sucking on the pacifier, and turned his head. Brian, are you going to heaven or hell when you die? And he's sucking on the pacifier, and he looks at her, and he turns his head. She reaches over and grabs him. Brian, are you going to heaven or hell when you die? He spits the pacifier out, looks at her, and says, Disney World. (laughs) Be careful that they don't choose option three. So many times believers get it wrong by going and shaking people to death and spitting at, at them all these Christian quotes and all of these things. And their life is not evidenced by what they're saying. And people don't want anything to do with the Lord. Our lives and the way that we live them should always come before what we're saying. We should be be living it out. Ephesians 6 tells us that we have an armor to use. It says that we have a belt of truth, a breastplate of righteousness, shoes fitted for peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, And the sword is the word of God. We've only been given one piece of offensive gear in the armor package. We've only been given one piece, and that is the sword. And for some reason, as believers, we tend to go and reach for the sword first. 
And if we look closely at this scripture, we find that the way that we protect ourselves, if we examine that armor, we find that it has everything to do with how we are supposed to live our lives. Belt of truth. Am I living my life full of integrity? Am I living my life as I'm living this out? Am I living it in the truth? Am I, do I tell the truth? Am, is, am, I, am I an integritous person? Breastplate of righteousness. Am I, am I, do I know that I'm in right standing with God? Am I, am I looking for my lifestyle to fit a, that of a righteous person? Shoes fitted with peace. Am I walking in peaceful ways? Am I causing peace to those around me? Shield of faith. Am I faithful? Do I have faith to believe? Helmet of salvation. Do I know that I'm protected and covered by the blood of Jesus Christ? And then we have the sword, which is the word of God. And what we tend to do is we run for the sword. I need a guy to come up here real quick. Some guy run up here. Please, quickly. Hey, Scott. Come on up. Now, some of you might be like, why are you about to hand Scott Asher a sword? (laughs) This should be interesting. Here. (laughs) Okay. So this is what we tend to do. This is just a little object lesson. Scott is a believer. And what we tend to do is we tend to look in the Word of God and we say... Don't judge others. Don't judge others. Okay, so we'll wear that. Ah, by Jesus' stripes I'm healed. I like that one. Okay, put this on me right here. Okay. If I claim this in the name of Jesus, it will be mine. Got a new Mercedes last week because of that. God is love, and we should love everybody no matter what. Kumbaya. (laughs) Tithing. Uh, I only believe half of that. (laughs) Ah, people send, and it says that when you sin, you take rocks and you throw them at them. Yes, I love that. God's plan is to prosper me so that I might be happy. (laughs) Happy, 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 happy. I'm running out of room here, Scott. (laughs) God created me the way that I am, and I don't have to, nor do I need to change. (laughs) Women should be quiet in the church. Better yet, wives, submit to your husbands. I'm good enough to get to heaven. Well, I got enough scripture to live my life, so forget about that. Okay, now I'm ready to use my sword. And then what we do is we take this sword and we go out to you and we just start slashing away. Do you understand how harmful it is to live a life like this? 
I believe that the sword, the Word of God, uh, is the most dangerous weapon that exists in this earth. And if it's used improperly, People's lives will be in shambles. Right. People die. People, it, it, it can be, it's horrible. But if you use the right way, yeah. there's life everlasting. It's powerful. Yes, it's yes, it's yes. great. Yeah. Thank you, Scott. You can keep the scriptures. <laughs> now, some of you will be more offended that I rip pages out of a Bible than anything else I say tonight. And that's okay. You can come talk to me after, after service. There are times when the sword needs to come out. But the power behind it doesn't come from you. It comes from the Holy Spirit. I heard recently that Jesus was offensive in this world, and so should we be. That didn't set well with me because while I know Jesus offended many, I know that that wasn't the goal. Jesus didn't wake up one day and say, ooh, I wonder how many people I can go and offend today. He actually woke up. Jesus Christ's posture every day when he walked up, woke up, he said, Father, what do you want me to do today? Yeah. What do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? I believe that Jesus had three important prerequisites before he went out to the people and said anything. One, he operated on his father's authority, not his own. Two, he rejected virtually all material possessions that were offered to him. And three, he was willing to die for every single person he offended. Now, when you're ready to do all three of those things, then you might be ready to go out with the sword. Because when we're out in the world and we're slashing this sword, it should not be in the spirit of go conquer it should be with tears and a broken heart. Yeah. 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 We should be going not on our own authority, but on His. It shouldn't be for anything that I'm trying to gain. And I should be coming near close to saying, I love you so much, I'd lay my life down. That's what Jesus Christ did. And so I have a little trouble when I'm looking. I, I, Jesus is certainly my model, but I don't assume that I'm going to get to that level because I can't honestly say that there are people that I would die for and give my life, but he knew what he was going to do, and he knew whose authority he was walking on when he said things. How we live our lives makes all the difference in how we point people to him. John, 1 John chapter 2 says this, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. And I love how that opens. This is a letter to say, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But immediately he says, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. How many times when we're trying to go out and call people on their sin, are we going right for the, you are in sin right now, and, I, and this isn't how you should live, and this is the consequence for your sin. If you don't get out of your sin, you don't belong in the kingdom, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and we go out of, this is written that you might not sin, but if you do, hey, you've got an advocate. Jesus Christ is your advocate to the Father. <coughs> He's saying you've got, Paul's writing, he said, or in John here, excuse me. 
He says, you've got an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him, what? If we keep our, his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but do not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message that you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. It's the truth seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness what has blinded them. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. It's not just preaching it, it's living it. When you get to a point when you say, I believe what this book says, I believe this truth, I don't find a lot of scriptures that tell me to go out and tell Suzanne everything she's done wrong in her life. I don't find a lot of scriptures that say, go around, and now that you know the standard of perfection, make sure everybody around you is living at that standard. I don't find that. I don't find that. You know what I find? I find, so much, I find a lifetime's worth of how to live my life in this book. I find a lifetime's worth of work for me to do on myself so that I may have evidence of the Holy Spirit working in my life so that that might be attractive to unbelievers so that then they will come to me and say, hey, you've got something that I don't have that I would really like. And the reason they said that is not because I told them, it's because they see the type of joy I'm walking in. Love has the power to change people. And spirit-led spirit living will always produce fruit. Spirit-led living will always produce fruit. Jesus comes and he lives an impeccable life. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins and he gives us access to the Father. Then he tells us that he must go so that the Holy Spirit can come. The job of the Holy Spirit is to empower believers to point people to Jesus Christ. When we are actively living a spirit-led life, then the fruit is evident all around us. And you judge a tree by its fruit. So you are being judged by your fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Listen to me, church. If we were a church that operated completely and was thriving in the fruits of the Spirit, if we in the world, as we're walking up this up this, um, this rapid of, of the world coming at us, and we were walking with, with the strength of the Lord in love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know how many people would be attracted to that and how many people would turn around because that is attractive. That is opposite of what the world is giving. That is opposite of what you find. This is light. What we live in is in darkness. And people are wanting, people are actually attracted to light. They're attracted to joy. People are attracted to love. People are attracted to self-control and forbearance and faithfulness and those things. And if you're living that life consistently and you're, and you're proclaiming to a Christian, 
Not going around telling people that they're supposed to live that way, but you're living your life that way and you're walking. People are going to be attracted to that and say, what is it that you have that I don't have? Because my life isn't joyful. I don't feel like I have a love or a peace. I mean, something's going on here. There's something that you have that I actually really, I want. Can you tell me about that? And then, with the power of the Holy Spirit, you grab out the word and you say, hey, let me slash through what the world has told you about yourself. Let me slash through the lies that you've bought into. Let me slash through all of these things that you've believed that the world is telling you and let me offer you life. And if you would like to walk with me, we can rub elbows together. I want you to know that I'm not perfect and I'm still, I'm struggling going up this way. I only can do this because of the strength of Jesus Christ. Walk with me. Let me love you. And guess what? When you turn around, I know you're not going to be perfect. And I don't care because I'm not going to focus on your sin. I'm going to focus on the life that's in you. And the more that we can talk about the life that's in you, the more that we can point to Jesus Christ, the more that sin, that desire is going to go away. So let's walk together for a while. Come on, you you belong. You belong in the kingdom. There's nothing you've done wrong uh, so bad that you can't come worship this God. Come on. And we start living this life. And all of a sudden we realize that we have made such a difference in the kingdom and advancing the kingdom, not based on what we said, but based on what we did. When we're living our lives the ways we should, the way we should, then we exhibit the fruits of the Spirit. Love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all of which are opposite of the things that we read in 2 Timothy. The job of the Holy Spirit is to empower believers to point people to Jesus. And as believers, we should never have the attitude of, what are we going to do with those people? Because there was a point when we were those people. Our goal is not perfection. Our goal is Jesus. And we mustn't be ashamed of the gospel. Telling others what we believe should always come secondary to living it out ourselves. And spirit-led living will always yield fruit. Make sure your life is about the fruit. When we live our lives, it should be about how much fruit can I bear. Let me show people Christ through my actions, through my deeds. And if dialogue and the conversation begins because of that, then by the power of the Holy Spirit, may you be encouraged and walk in confidence because you know what you believe. And you know who you are. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that it's alive and active in our lives. And Father, we need the strength to put on humility, to put on compassion, to put on kindness, to put on self-control in a world that's really brutal. And I ask, Lord, as these people go beyond today, that you give us all opportunities to really flesh out what we believe. And I pray, Lord, as we put it into practice, that there would be people that would be around us that would taste and see that you're good based on the fruit that is coming out of our lives. Let everything we do be for your glory and not ours. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed.